Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories to the Pharisees with one lesson. Do they understand the lesson? And do we? But before Pastor John's message from Luke 15, let's listen in as Diane Strang shares our scripture reading. And be sure to subscribe to our channel and follow us on Twitter and Facebook, or check us out at wbfva.org. It is such a great reminder. We do need to run to the Father again and again and again. And not just in our difficult times, every day, when things are going great, when we just want to sing his praises, when we want to recognize he is the God and the King. And today, Pastor Scott is going to, or Pastor John, excuse me, is going to focus on those good times. I'm going to read to you in preparation for his sermon from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord, the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. Please have a seat. I'd like you to turn to Luke. We're going to be in chapter 15. We'll do the whole chapter today. And while you're finding that, I want to talk to you about repentance. I think a lot of people think repentance is being sorry for something you've done, of saying, forgive me. And that's certainly a, an element of repentance when we exhibit it. But repentance is a heart change. Repentance is grieving over something that you've done to offend, first of all, the Father, our Father in heaven. We're going to see an example of that a little bit later. Uh, but then maybe other people as well. But, you know, a lot of people think that there are no uh, sins that that uh, occur unless there's a victim, that there are victimless sins. That's not true. Uh, because when we sin, we violate the character and nature of our Father in heaven, whom He is trying to mold us into. So when we repent, we, we grieve over the fact that we, we have resisted that molding process. We grieve over the fact that we have resisted the sanctification that He's trying to put us through. Uh, repentance, in order for it to be genuine, uh, starts deep down inside and reflects the change that's going on in us. So the reason I mention that is that I had to repent 
this week as I was doing this sermon. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but let me give you the context of what's happening here. Last week, we asked the question, how much are you willing to pay? And the question was about uh, being a citizen of the kingdom of God. And, and, and the, the entrance into the kingdom of God is free. Uh, the grace that saves us is free. But I think we need to be honest with each other that it's not always to be easy to be a good citizen of the kingdom of God. And uh, so that's a process we go through. And uh, endemic to that process is the idea that Jesus is the very highest priority in our lives. That's the price we pay to be in the kingdom of God. If, if he's not the highest priority in our life, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're kicked out of the kingdom, but we will not be able to enjoy all of the blessings and all the benefits of being a child of God. So the price we pay to be in the full blessing and favor of God is making his son the very highest goal in our lives. So Jesus is going to kind of illustrate that in our passages today uh, by examining those things that we rejoice over, maybe those things we should rejoice over. So our sermon today is three stories, one lesson. And now these are three really familiar stories. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to look, help you look at them a little bit differently today. So we've got the story of the lost sheep, uh, which is in verses 1 through 7. We have the story of the lost coin, which is in verses 8 through 10. And in verses 11 through 32, we have the lost boy. Now, even as we approach this, we need to understand something that if you've been with us for a while, you've heard this before, um, and you will hear it again. But context is everything. And Jesus has been teaching the Pharisees about the nature of the kingdom of God. He's actually been teaching the disciples and anybody who will listen to him about the kingdom of God ever since he made the turn at Caesarea Philippi, which is up north. They got to Caesarea Philippi. He turned to the disciples. He said, I got to go to Jerusalem and I have to die. And they're having a difficult time absorbing that. They don't understand the concept of a Messiah that dies. Uh, but Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God and what's it like so that they can be familiar enough with it that when he leaves, they'll be able to minister the kingdom themselves. And meanwhile, he's having these, these sessions with the Pharisees and uh, he's been trying to teach them about the kingdom. And we need to keep that in mind, in particular as we go through the next two chapters. It's about the Pharisees and their total lack of awareness of what the kingdom of God is and who Jesus is. They, they, they're just not getting it. See, the Pharisees are missing one of the kingdom's primary characteristics. They can't get their heads around this. And it is that the kingdom will be populated by people from all over the world, not just Hebrews. And so, you know, this is why we call our series here God's Love for Everyone. God Loves Everyone. There is a price to pay for rejecting him, but God loves everyone. So Jesus is going to demonstrate this by telling these three stories, and they all have the same lesson. So we're going to pay attention to the stories, and they all have three common themes. They are all linked together by three linking threads, and here they are. Now, the reason I'm explaining this to you is because these three teachings have been used for a lot of different purposes than what I believe God, Jesus is relating this to the Pharisees for. There, there are fantastic object lessons in here. 
Uh, but I think there's a very particular lesson that Jesus wants to give the Pharisees. So, and, and I think it's a lot more simple than a lot of people would have us believe. So here's the three, three linking threads. Something is lost, something is found, and someone is rejoicing. It's as easy as that. It's a simple message. We have a tendency to overcomplicate it. Again, there are a lot of good object lessons here. But the main one, the primary lesson, is fairly simple. See if you agree with me when we're done. So let's take a look at this. Lost sheep. Uh, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So Jesus said in a previous passage, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, now let me tell you what that means. That doesn't mean that you're in the proximity of a noise and your eardrums are vibrating. That's part of it. But when Jesus says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He's saying, listen to this, understand it, appropriate it in your life, incorporate it into your theology, incorporate it into how you relate to the people around you. So it's not just listening, it's understanding and applying. So look who's listening. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the next thing we see is tax collectors and sinners are all drawing near to hear. You can see him sitting there going, I've never heard teaching like this before. What is he saying? What do we do with it? Meanwhile, verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, we all know what the attitude was about sinners. It was you stayed away from them, you avoided them, you didn't want to be contaminated by their filth. So, you've got the tax collectors and the sinners uh, intently listening to Jesus Christ, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who are respected as spiritual leaders in their town, are grumbling and groaning about him sitting with the sinners. So, these first two verses here set the tone for all the parables that are going to follow in verse 15 and verse 16. The outcasts are listening intently. The religious leaders are grumbling about what Jesus is doing. So he told them this parable in verse 3. Verse 4 says, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. Now, so here's the first of our linking threads in this parable. The sheep is lost. Now, we, we need to be careful with this because we want to assign roles. Who's the shepherd? Who's the sheep? You know, we, we don't know. The sheep is just lost. So a lot of folks want to talk, make this about people stopping coming to church. You've got to go get them. They're not coming. They're the lost sheep. You've got to leave the flock. And, and, you know, we just need to think this through. Because I could very easily, if I believe that to be true, stand up here and go, I can't do the sermon today. There's somebody not here. I've got to go get them. So all we know about this sheep is they're lost. The image that Jesus wants us to see is that there is this one sheep that is outside the pen. He is outside the fold. We don't know if he wandered away. We don't know if he was left behind. We don't know if the shepherd just bought 100 sheep and got home and found out he only had 99. All we know is the sheep is lost. And the shepherd 
detects the lost state of that sheep. And he sees that as a high priority, and he leaves the rest of the flock to find the sheep. And in verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, there's our second linking thread. The lost sheep is found. He's brought into the fold. And then in verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I've found my sheep that was lost. Now, the shepherd's rejoicing. Watch this. He invites all those people that are close to him to come in and enjoy the party. And that's our third linking thread. And it's shared by the shepherd and all the people in proximity to him. There's rejoicing. There's celebration. So Jesus tells this story about this lost sheep that got found and there's a party. And then he says something that is absolutely startling. He says in verse 7, just so... I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now we we begin to get a hint. There's some symbolism in this lost sheep. There's There's a parallel between the lost sheep and sinners who repent. And when that happens, there's joy in heaven. There's joy in heaven when sinners repent, when they go through this transformation that I was talking about a little bit earlier. What an odd thing to say about John not showing up for church on Sunday morning. It's like, heaven's like, oh, he walked into church, everybody, let's have a big party. He went to church. It's an odd thing to say about about this one person who gone somewhere else. Who knows? This is not about people staying home on Sunday. It's not about people finding another shepherd to place themselves under. It's about the conversion of sinners. It's about the transformation of souls. Now, this must have had a huge impact on the people that were listening carefully to what Jesus said. Because they just saw the Pharisees grumbling about Jesus sitting with them. With them. You see what's happening here? Jesus is saying there's more joy in heaven. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's saying, look, there's more joy in heaven when one of these sinners repents than there is over you. Than there is over people who feel self-righteous. Than there is over people who feel above the sinners. Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> I mean, they're the religious leaders, aren't they? They're the high-status people walking through town. Look, Timmy, don't you want to be a Pharisee when you grow up? Could there be Pharisees in the church today? Oh, no. Could there be people in the church today that feel superior to sinners? That think that sinners have no place in the company of the people of the church? Could this be happening today in the 21st century? To think that there might be 
people that are unworthy. See, that's the problem with the sheep. Regardless of how he got out there, the 99 have got to be more valuable than that one that's out there wandering away somewhere. It would be seen as unworthy, as having no value. Is it possible for us to see people that are not here in our fold as having no value? So now, now we see that, that things are getting a little deep here. Let's talk about the lost coin. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, again, here's our first linking thread. The coin is lost. Now, and, and what we should see is the comparison that Jesus is setting up here between the nine coins that she has in her hand and the one that's lost. Now, most people think this coin is a drachma. It's about 17 cents. It's about a day's wages back then. So, and, but it's not about the, the relative value. It's about the fact that the woman is, has made it a priority to go get this lost coin. So this is about the woman's motivation. The dedication that she has to looking for the coin. She's turning the whole house upside down. She's turning lights on and, and looking under. She's looking down in the folds of her couch. <laughs> you know, there's always some coins down in there, isn't there? She sees value in the stray coin. Verse 9, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Second linking thread. The coin is found. It's lost, and now it's found. And the third one is right there too. The woman calls the people that are close to her, in proximity to her, and says, Let's have a party. I found my coin. Language here is very similar to that that's in the first parable. And then Jesus says the same thing again in verse 10. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's the same lesson. The same object that he's trying to get them to, to, to understand and embrace. That coin seems to have very little value, but it has tremendous value to the woman. And the Pharisees should be hearing by now, those people who seem to have no value to you have incredible value to your Father in heaven. And you've been charged to take the blessings of Abraham to those people that you're grumbling and groaning about. Wow. Let's talk about the lost boy. Verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Now, this is an incredible offense that the young boy makes towards his father. He's really going to the father and saying, you know, I know that I'm not supposed to get my inheritance until you're dead, but I'm going to consider you as dead to me because I want my inheritance now. And the father, the father is incredible. He gives it to him. He gives it to him. It, it would have been one-third of everything he owned. You know, the way that worked is the older son would get a double share. He'd have gotten two-thirds, and the younger son would have gotten one-third. He gives it to the boy. 
In verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. This is a Hebrew Pigs were the filthiest animals on earth. And now that all this guy's money's gone and all of his friends have abandoned him, he has to eat. So he takes a job feeding the filthiest animals on earth. And there he is among them. And look what happens. And he was longing to be fed, verse 16, with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Here's the final linking thread in this one. The, the, the boy is lost. He's destitute. He is spiritually bankrupt. He realizes what he's done to himself. He realizes what has happened as a consequence of some very bad decisions. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Read this carefully. Father, I have sinned against who? Heaven and before you. So there's something profound embedded in here. And we have to read it slowly to get it. The boy, the boy exhibits true repentance. Something has dawned on him. Something, some, some new revelation has come to him and and. It's flowing from him. Now, how do we know that? We know that because he shows us that he understands the nature of sin. He understands that it is a violation of the character of God. He understands that all of our sin, brothers and sisters, is first against God. And he says that. I've sinned against heaven and his father. And he's ready to humble himself before both of them, before his father in heaven and his father on earth. Look what he says in 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, he's kind of practicing this in his head before he gets there because he's not quite sure how dad's going to receive him. He knows that he has offended his father on earth. He's offended his father on heaven. He doesn't know what the consequences are, but he's going to go back empty-handed and hungry and humbled. And so he's practicing this thing in his head. And verse 20, And he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son son. So here's the moment of reality for him. What's dad going to do? Well, the first thing he sees is dad rather indignantly running through town. I mean, to do that, they wore those long robes. You had to hike your robe up and and go running. And the townspeople are watching dad. They know what happened. They know the son left him. They know the son offended him. So dad's going to put this on display in front of the town and his son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The second linking thread in our third story. He's found. Well, that's, that's pretty good. But Jesus, Jesus wants to get the Pharisees' attentions. So the story's not over. Look at this in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He's walking up, and he goes, what's all the noise going on? Is there a party? How come I'm not invited? And he said to them, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and because he's received him back safe and sound. But the boy... He's angry. He's mad. <laughs> and he refused to go in. Now, now, again, you have to understand the culture and understand what happened. The, the, the whole community is watching. He's just offended the honor of the father by refusing to go into the party. We talked a little bit about this last week. And, and the, father, the father understands, you know, the, the, the older son has just made the same type of offense against the father that his younger brother did. And the father gets that. His father came out and entreated him. So the father goes out and says, please come in. But he answered his father, verse 29, look these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours not his brother it's this son of yours this sheep who is out of the fold this coin that has been lost of yours not of mine but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes you killed the fattened calf for him and the father says to him in verse 31 son you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. This incredible grace flowing from the Father. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The third linking theme. Rejoicing. The whole town is rejoicing. But the older brother, he's not rejoicing. He's not having a good time. He's upset. Why? Because he deemed the younger brother as not worthy. He deemed that the younger brother had no value. Now you see how everything's kind of working together here. Not only that, he's mad at the father. He's offended by the father for seeing value in his younger brother. The story's a little bit different than the first two, isn't it? It's a bit more involved. Actually, it's quite a bit more to the point. Jesus sees the Pharisees as the older brother. And they're probably aware of it. They're self-righteous. They're self-entitled. They're judges of others. They're feeling superior to the people around them than those sinners and tax collectors that you're sitting with. 
They're unable to see that the younger brother who had offended the father, the younger brother who had made himself filthy and become an outcast, was still valued, still loved by the father. The father's willing to to spend everything to get him. And indeed, even as the father sheds grace and mercy, the older brother withholds grace and mercy, not, not just from the brother, but from his father. So Jesus doesn't end this one with that statement about rejoicing in heaven. He wants the Pharisees to think about what he's just told them. So, so we've seen these, these three linking threads. We've seen the lost. Something is lost. A sheep, a coin, a boy. And, and compared to what remains, that, that in any worldly sense, they would have no value. But compared to the one looking for them, they had tremendous value. We saw that those things were found. Yet the owners in every case were eager, devoted to getting them back, willing to work hard and to sacrifice to bring them home. And because all that happened, we saw rejoicing. Yeah, when the items are found, the owner and all the people close to him rejoice. They take joy in this. So the parables... The ones we've seen in the last five chapters are about the kingdom of God and their main point always seems to be about true repentance for sinners and the joy in heaven when that happens. That's certainly the main point of these parables in this chapter, isn't it? So we get that. And and as I told you a little earlier, the, the lesson is a lot more simple than we make it because we want to pull things out of here that might be helpful, but they're not necessarily what God wanted us to see when he inspired these scriptures. But they're also designed to make us think. They're certainly directed at the Pharisees, and by now the Pharisees certainly should be thinking something like, well, who am I in that story? Where do I fit in? Why is he looking at me? And why every time I run into this, I get a funny feeling inside. Why do I get mad when I get that funny feeling? So regardless of what role they thought they might have in these parables, they certainly didn't think that they were the lost items. And see, that's the problem. They thought they were better. They thought they were more worthy. They thought they were more significant. They thought they were more righteous than the lost things. Huh. What did Jesus say about those who think they're more righteous or or, or more worthy than others? He said just in verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. He's saying, you people think you don't need to repent. And let me tell you something, there's a bigger party in heaven over them than over you. Now watch this. He's not saying you're no longer in the kingdom. See, every time he encounters them, he gives them the opportunity to repent. He's saying, do this before it's too late. 
Deal with these things that you're struggling with inside, your own self-righteousness, your own sense of worth, your own sense of status. Deal with these things because right now, those ones you are complaining about are doing a much better job of being members of the kingdom of God than you are. Hmm. No rejoicing in heaven over those who are self-righteous. Let me tell you how easy it is to become a Pharisee today and what I had to repent from. And tell me if you're not struggling with the same thing. Throughout these three parables, I sat there and went, those Pharisees. I'm more righteous than they are. Doesn't that happen? Don't we look at these things and say, those guys are not worthy of God's blessing. You see how easy it is to fall into this judgmental attitude? Let me ask you something. In, in the culture we're in, I, somebody told me, oh, I'm really struggling, I'm depressed and everything. And, and I, I said, well, how much of the news are you listen to? I watch it all the time. And, oh, okay, let me just make this suggestion, turn it off. I got to know what's going on. And immediately after that, we launched into this discussion over who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. Isn't that what these parables are about? Who's the good guys and who the bad guys? And the ones that think they're the good guys are the bad guys, and the ones that think they're the bad guys are actually the good guys. Okay, so, so, so let's apply what we just learned to how we exist in this environment. And, and I want you to just ask, I'm not taking sides here. I just want you to ask this question. If, if you lean towards the left, do, who, who's teaching the gospel to the ones on the right? And if you lean towards the right, who's preaching the gospel to the ones on the left? I mean... Isn't, isn't that the answer to all of this tension and all this division that we see out there? We have found so many ways to divide ourselves. And we have been so harsh in drawing those lines. And if you're on this side, you're a bad guy. And you're on this side, you're a good guy. And I happen to be on this side because I'm a good guy. Isn't the gospel the solution to all this? Isn't union with Christ, being one with him and one with each other, the solution to all the tension and all the division we have? So who is preaching the gospel down in Washington, D.C.? Who's preaching the gospel to all of the news stations, not just the ones that agree with us? Who's preaching the gospel to those who control the media? Oh, they're so bad. I'm a good guy. The media people are bad. See how easy it is to become a Pharisee? And to feel that there are those who are unworthy of our love, our grace, and our mercy. Praise God that he didn't think that about us. We need to remember where our blessings come from. We need to remember where our identity is because it's not in Democrat, Republican, liberal. It's not in ethnicity. It's not in nationality. Please give me a break on that one. 
It's in Jesus Christ. And the fact that He died to save us from our sins and deliver us from the good guy, bad guy scenario. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the clarity of Your Word, Father. We thank You for the simplicity of it. Oh, Lord, there's more digging we could do here. You know that, Father. You intend that. But right there on the surface, we see this whole scenario about who's righteous and who's not righteous and how confused we can get over that. So we pray, Father, for clarity of thought, clarity of purpose. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would motivate us and energize us to be messengers of the gospel, not messengers of an ideology, but messengers of salvation, messengers of grace and mercy. And we pray this. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Good to hear that door creak and see people walking through it. We're glad to see you. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back again next week.